0: But anyway, let's get started in our study tonight. We're continuing our study uh, on the Godhead, and we're actually learning some things, a lot more things about God in more detail. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the love of uh, God. Now, I don't know about you, but have you discovered that God is amazing? Isn't that true? He is so amazing. And the more I learn about him, the more I realize I don't know a lot about him to begin with. He's just scratching the surface. Uh, so tonight we are going to look at the love of God. But there are actually three things, three particular things that the Bible is clear about concerning the nature of God. Go to John chapter 4, verse 24. Somebody read that, please. <clears throat> Okay. The first thing the Bible is well, one of the things that now, these are not in any particular order, but one of the things God that uh, the Bible is clear about. God is, and the King James and most translations say a spirit, but in the Greek there's no letter A there. Okay. The Greek says God is spirit. Now think about that. Now, first of all, let me try to illustrate this a little bit. Is God, is he a God or is he the God? He's the God. And we wouldn't say that God is one of many. And so the Greek emphasizes that God's not just a spirit of many, a one of many good spirit, whatever it is. God, in his essence, is spirit. So there's no article there before the word spirit in the Greek language. So, what it does when you read it that way, it places God in a class all by himself. And where does God belong? In a class all by himself. So, God is spirit in the highest sense of the world, of the word. Now, because he is spirit, he has no visible substance, uh, he has, uh, no tangible body. Because if he did, he wouldn't be omnipresent. He would be limited to one place. Uh, but because he is spirit, his presence fills the heaven and the earth. Now remember, everything we learn about God, we take by faith. Isn't that true? Based on what the scripture says. So number one, God is spirit. Go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Thank you, Phyllis. So the second thing that's true, and again, this is not in particular order, about the essence of God, not only is God's spirit, God is light. Now think about that. Uh, when you think about light, what do you think of? Okay, we do, all right. What's the opposite of darkness? Light, all right. And we think of those things as well. And so God is the opposite of darkness. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we think about the sun and the moon uh, and things like then the stars, and there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times in the Scripture, uh, when the Bible speaks about light, it's talking about sin, it's talking about evil, it's talking about death, if you will. And John said, not only is God light, how much darkness is in God? None. There is none at all. Feel it? Absolutely, yes, indeed. And it, and it does. God's light cast things in a different light for us. So God is light. And to say that God is light tells us that God is the grand total sum of everything excellent. Because in him is no darkness at all. So God is spirit. God is light. Go to 1 John four eight. So now we find out God is what? He's love. God is love. Now we know that God loves, for God so loved the world. We read that often, we quote it often. But it's more than that, God is love itself. Now remember, when we talk about being a spirit, a light, and even his love, it's not just merely one of his attributes. Love is the very nature of God. He's what now? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Now, now remember, yeah, we don't know that God does. Now, remember something else, too. Love is not God, but God is love. There's a difference there, okay? God is love. And there are a lot of folks in our world, and you've already kind of touched on that, Phyllis, who talk about the love of God, but they actually have no idea of what the love of God really is. God's love is completely different than any love we know. (coughs) So that being said, God is spirit, God is light, God is... uh, Love. So we know the Bible is clear that God is love. Does that mean that God is a pushover? No. Does that mean we're to take him like a big grandfather in the sky? Not at all. And for some people, that's how they see God, some kind of a weakness there because he is a God of love. Now remember, God does love us. But is God going to overlook sin? No, and by the way, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at the wrath of God. You know, as we look at this, but nonetheless, uh, we can't take the fact that God is love and reduce that and compare it or try to say it's like human emotion. God's love is more, more is so much more than that. It goes deeper than that. And the truth is, as on everything else, our thoughts need to be formed what is revealed in the scripture about God. How many know that mankind, and sometimes including us, we are experts at making God who we want him to be? Trying to put God in a box, right? We can't do that. We simply. Cannot do that. Now, first of all, we have to go back to the Word of God. We've got to see what God's Word says about that, what's revealed in Scripture. And we know that there's a a very urgent need for this because of the ignorance which prevails in our world about our God. But also because of the sad spiritual state of most people in our world today. And the sad thing is that is also affecting a lot of professing Christians as well. Most God is awesome. He is spirit. He is light. He is love. And the question I, I have to ask tonight, even as you and I are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, how... Real is our love for God. Think about that. How real is our love for God? And I think the danger for all of us is that our hearts are not occupied as much with His wonderful love that He has for us as it really ought to be. It's interesting. I was, uh, some years ago now, in the book of Corinthians, Paul's talking about preaching the gospel. And he had shared the different all the difficulties he had been through. And Paul, being a master teacher, uh, always expected questions or he kind of, kind of uh, would think about what they might wonder. And the question was, well, why, if that's true, why would you keep on doing this? And Paul said, the love of God constrains me. When I realized how much God loves me, I simply can't quit. And so, folks, we need to have a, 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 a grander view of God's love for us. And so the better we become acquainted with God's love, the better we begin to understand God's love, the character of God's love, the fullness of God's love, the blessedness of God's love, the more our hearts are going to be drawn To love Him more. Isn't that just like our God? The more you love Him, the more you understand it, the more you'll be drawn to love God more. Let's look at some principles I think that's important tonight when we we think about God's love. And we've talked about this in a lot of areas. Number one, the love of God is uninfluenced. The love of God is uninfluenced. What do you think we mean by that? Now, fellas, now, wait a minute. I heard what you said, but I'm a pretty good guy. <laughs> well, I know I'm not, right? Amen? But that's true. So let me kind of illustrate this way. Um what can you do, or anyone do, to make God love you more? Nothing. Next question. What can you do to make God love you less? Nothing. Now certainly God bestows his love in different ways, but God's nature is love. So when we think when we say that God's love is not influenced, and influence Phyllis, you're right. There's absolutely nothing in any of us that would call his love into existence. There's nothing we could say. We can't say, well, Lord, you have to love me because. It doesn't happen. We can't influence God. There's nothing in me or anyone else to attract it. There's nothing in either of us, any of us, to promote it. Because God is love. Now, certainly we ought to love one another, and uh, we know how that should operate. But normally in this world, when you love somebody, there's something in their lives that attracted you to them. Or vice versa, attracted them to you. And that's what it is between human beings. But the love of God is free. The love of God is spontaneous. The love of God is is uncaused. And we're referring to John three sixteen throughout the night. For God so loved who? What's that mean? Everybody. Why? Because God's love. There was nothing that caused it, nothing that influenced it. No one deserves the love of God. And so the only reason that God would love any of us It's because of his sovereignty and because God is love. Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at verse 7 and 8. Yeah, we know Moses is speaking here, and, of course, there's God speaking through Moses. And he's speaking to the Jews, to the Israelites. And basically, what's he, ta- what's he telling them? Yeah. We... Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, the problem, even through the years of the centuries, the Jews came to a place they felt they deserved the love of God. But what did God say? No, you didn't. God said, I didn't I didn't choose you because there were more of you than any other people. I, I, I didn't choose you because of any other reason, but I chose you because I loved you. And he made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when God makes a promise, what can you count on? You're going to keep it. So God said, don't get so high and mighty. Yes, I have chosen you, not because you're good or, or you're smarter or more than the other people. I chose you because of my love and because of my promise to your poor fathers. So, <clears throat> I would ask this question then. When do you think God started loving the Jews? You what now? From everlasting to everlasting. When did God start loving anyone? From eternity past. From everlasting to everlasting. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9. Somebody read that please. So Paul is saying, basically, that God loves from himself. That's where it originates. And he loves from himself, Paul says, according to his own purpose. God's love is uncaused. He loves because he is love. 1 John 4:19. What does that tell us? He loved us first. Now remember, God didn't love us because we loved Him. He loved us before we had one ounce of love for Him. And remember, because God so loved the world, He loved us first. Now remember, God's love is uninfluenced. And so, if God had loved us in return of our love, He may never love us, but also it would not be spontaneous on the part of God. But because He loved us, even when we were loveless, for lack of, better, of a better word, when we were unlovable, without a doubt, that is a clear statement, that God's love was uninfluenced. Without cause, He just loves. So when I think about God's love for me, what a, what a wonderful thought that is. When I think about the love of God for each of His own, no matter who it was or who it is, that love was unmoved by anything in us. That love was not caused by anything in us. I would say it's caused, it's there because in spite of us, in spite of who we are. So when I think about this question tonight, what is there in any of us that would attract the heart of God to us. To Him, I mean, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, most of you know, Romans were written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, God called him to ministry. And uh, Anyway, uh, Paul makes a statement here in chapter 7, verse 18. He says, I know that in me, that in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. What's he saying? Yeah, there's, no, there's no good in me at all. None at all. And I think about what Paul's writing here, and who's writing this. And when I think about the well, Lord, what you know, what was in me that attracted you to me and me to your heart? Nothing at all. In fact, quite the contrary. Because everything in my life was in rebellion to Him. Everything that I did before I got saved certainly didn't uh, stir love. What He would have reason. Not to love me. I was sinful. I was depraved. I was corrupt. And Paul says, and I agree, no good thing in me. Later on in chapter, earlier in chapter 3, uh, and I don't have that verse in our, in, our, in our notes tonight. Uh, Paul says, there is how many good? None. No, not one. Pretty emphatic, right? So God's love for us is uninfluenced or anything or anyone. So number two, God's love is eternal. So why, if we think about God, why would his love have to be eternal? Now remember, three things about God the Bible says. He's spirit, he is light, and he is love. Okay. I agree. It's part of his care. It's him. I love that. So if it's him then, and it is, why does love have to be eternal? Who said that? Say it again. Wait, God is eternal. And like you said, Philip, it's him. It, it, God is love. And because God is eternal, His love is eternal. So when did God begin? No beginning. So when did love begin? Always been. Now, do I understand all that? Certainly not. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God and He is love. And here's something I learned by praying for this lesson. What we cannot comprehend, we can adore and worship. Did you hear what I said? What we cannot comprehend, we can adore in worship. And I've got to tell you folks, there's so many things about God we can't comprehend. But it doesn't mean we can't adore it in worship. Because that is our God. Jeremiah said it very clear, chapter thirty one, verse three. How long has God loved him, Jason? With an everlasting love. Again, It's hard for me to wrap my mind around this. But what a comfort, what a blessing to know that our great and holy God loved His people before heaven and earth were called into existence. Because He's God, He's eternal, His love is eternal. What a blessing to know that God has set His heart on his people from all eternity. That's the God who loves us, the God who sent his son to die for his sin. And this in itself is clear proof that God's love is spontaneous because he loved even in the endless ages before any of us were even created. God's love is eternal. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verses 4 through 6, please. Thank you, Dan. We're not going to take time to take that all apart tonight. Folks, don't miss the, the wonderful truth, the doctrine we see in those verses, the passion that God has for his people. And Paul talks about there in verse 4 that God has chosen us uh, from the foundation of the world and he's chosen us in love. That's the God, folks, that came to us when we couldn't come to him. That's the God who is love, and he is love for eternity. And that ought to cause us to to praise our God, to worship him. It ought to be a a standard in our life where we realize, you know what, God, you love me so much. How can I not but serve you and love you every day of my life? Now, okay, so we know that God's love has no beginning, but what else do we know about God's love? It has no end. It's from everlasting to everlasting. He is God, and because He is God, uh, and since God is love, then it's also true that God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. I have a question for you, okay? Uh, do you have? Do we have to go to bed tonight worrying, will God love us tomorrow? No. That's one that we can count on. His love has no beginning, it has no end. It is from everlasting to everlasting. To everlasting so it's uninfluenced it's, it's eternal and the third thing is God's love is sovereign now we're not going to spend a lot of time on this now because the reason that is because God is sovereign what does that mean huh yeah in charge of what everything so since God is sovereign his love is sovereign right so God chooses to love, that's part of his nature, that's who he is. And he loves and he always acts according to his own nature. So again, I would ask that question, who is God obligated to love? No one. It's part of his nature and because he is sovereign. And because he is God, because he is love, his love must be Sovereign. Now, again, that goes along with the fact that God's love is unfluenced by anything man can do. God is simply love. So, it is sovereign, it's eternal. The fourth thing about God's love, it's infinite. What does that mean? Amen. When will it ever run out? Never. I mean, it is completely infinite his essence fills heaven and earth his wisdom is unlimited if you will uh, he knows everything of the past would you agree with that he will, he knows everything of the present what about the future he knows that as well so his power is unbounded there's nothing too hard for god and so his love is without limit it is infinite. How, how how can we measure the depth of God's love? What'd you say, Dan? Philip, what'd you say? We have no way to do it. We can't fathom it. We simply cannot fathom it. We can't measure the height of God's love. We just simply can't do that. There's also a length in the breadth of God's love, which defies any measurement that we could do. God. We don't have the gift. No, we don't. Even with all the signs we have that God's love is so deep, it is so wide. It's been a long time. i many a little course, children deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Yes, indeed. It is deep and wide. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. I like that phrase, great love. Amen. Now, I didn't do a word study this week on that word, great. But if my memory serves me correctly... Uh, it's where we get our word mega from, okay? And I can be corrected, but I know there are some Greek words and Hebrew words that mean mega. Mega, is that great. And this word great, I think we see a parallel in it when we read John three sixteen that God so loved the world. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, think about that. Now, remember what we said earlier the fact that God so loved the world means what? Everyone, including Alan Evans? Including Roland any Sure. doesn't matter who they are. And it's hard for us to comprehend that. And so we think about this great love. The idea here is that God's love is so transcendent, we simply can't fully comprehend the love of God. He loves the whole world. Now, does he love what people do? Not at all. But he sent his son to die for them. Yeah, he does. Yes, he does. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Anybody got that? Want to read it? Oh, my goodness. Paul's praying, of course, for the believers at Ephesus. One request he has, they might know the love of Christ but he says the love of Christ passes knowledge. What does that mean? Yeah, we can't comprehend it. We simply can't comprehend it. There is no tongue that can fully express the how infinite God's love is. There is no mind that can completely comprehend the vastness Of God's love, Paul says, it passes knowledge more than we could ever hope to comprehend. My friend, that's the love of God. And I'm convinced that no matter how long one may consider it and contemplate this subject of God's love, The most extensive ideas that our finite minds can frame about divine love are going to be infinitely below its true nature. That's the only time we'll understand it. Exactly right. We will never plumb the depths of God's love in this world. one theologian said this, that heaven is not so far above the earth as the goodness of God is beyond the most raised conceptions which you are able to form of it. It is an ocean which swells higher than all the mountains of opposition and such as are the object of it. It is a fountain from which flows all necessary good to all those who are interested in it. God's love is deep and wide. It's greater than we can imagine. It's greater than we could even fathom that, my friend, is the love of God. It is infinite. But not only is it infinite, God's love is immutable. James one seventeen. Somebody read that, please. Thank you, Phyllis. We've looked at God for quite a bit of time now. And one of the attributes of God is the fact that he is immutable. What does that mean? You what? Oh, okay. What's it mean? He doesn't change. He does not change, okay? That's a theological term, of course. And James says... He has no variableness, and there's no shadow of turning. I believe it was in Malachi, God says, I change not. So the word immutable means God doesn't change. Now, <clears throat> we talked about a while ago, a moment ago, that God's love was eternal because love is the essence of God. And the reason God's love is eternal because God's eternal. So, using that same analogy of that same reasoning, we know that God's love doesn't change. Why? Amen, Dan. God does not change. And just like God himself, there's no variables, there's no shadow of turning. God's love doesn't know change either. Now, we're not going to take time to take the verses here, but how many remember Jacob in the Old Testament? How many would like to ha- have him as your neighbor? You what? Phillips, I'm surprised at you. What do we know about Jacob? Yeah, I mean, he was a scoundrel. Um, I mean, a deceiver. A... Yeah, I mean, you you, you name it, that, that Jacob was. And uh, Paul even quotes it, I think, in Romans 9. But God made a statement, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, please understand, um, the, the word hate there does not mean hate like you hate somebody because... God blessed Esau too. But in the sovereignty, he chose, if you will, to bless Jacob's life even more. And so he loved Jacob, and this is hard to explain this, but he demonstrated it in a, in, a, in a very great degree. Was that because Jacob deserved it? No. In spite of his shortcomings, in spite of his treachery and his deceitfulness, uh God never stop loving him go to john chapter 13 verse 1 thank you dan now, for those who didn't, we just kind of read a verse there, but most of you know, this is John's account of the Last Supper. Who was there? We know Jesus was there. All the disciples, including who? Including Judas. Did Jesus know what Judas was going to do? Sure he did. He knew every detail of it. And John says, that night, he loved them To the end. Because we're toward the end of his life here on this earth. Before the ordeal is over. One of the apostles would say. Show us a father. Another would. Deny him. Even cursing. All of them. Would forsake him. And one of them sold out. And yet John said he did what? He loved them when to the end. He loved them to the end. Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 7. Anybody found that verse? What a word, huh? I looked it up myself just last night. But anyway, nothing can stop love. Nothing can stop God's love. Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. Thank you, Dan. Paul, Is Paul pretty clear there, by the way? What can cause God's love for us to change? Nothing. God's divine love, because He is love, is subject to no variations. Divine love is stronger than death. Many waters cannot quench it, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is immutable. So let me remind you, let me remind me, next time you have one of those days, one of those moments, when nobody loves me, you ever been there? Remember this, who loves you? God loves us. It will not change. A sixth thing about God's love is holy. And remember, we do nothing. We did nothing to influence it. It's uninfluenced. So God's love is not regulated by impulse. His love is not controlled by passion. His love is not controlled by sentiment. But His love is simply controlled by principle. Romans five, verse twenty-one. Let me help I can explain why we included this verse. We're talking about God is holy. His love is holy. Paul writes here in Romans 5.21 that sin at one time reigned to death. And he talks about the reason that grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. But here's what Paul is saying God's grace reigns not at the expense of grace, but through righteousness. So please understand, even though mankind has sinned, the fact that God wants grace to reign is true in spite of that sin. It's not that he condones that sin. Uh, it's not at the expense of grace that God wants that sin to be turned and that grace would now reign through righteousness. And so we have to understand that God is love. That's the essence of God. But it never Conflicts with His holiness. Now remember, we already read earlier that God is light. We've already read that God is love. But I want you to realize it's not a mushy-wushy kind of love. It's not an effinient kind of softness in God. Because God is going to be a holy God. His love will never interfere with his holiness. Hebrews twelve verse six. How many like that verse? Nobody does. I don't. But if God loves you, what's he gonna do sometimes to you? I'm gonna correct us. Now remember, God's love, God is love. But it doesn't mean he's wishy-washy. It doesn't mean he's not going to be holy. Love means that when you do wrong, God will do what? He'll correct you. Okay? He will discipline his children. So God will not wink at our sin. Even as Christians, he won't ignore our sin. Because God's love is pure. And It will never conflict with His holiness. And then finally, number seven, God's love is gracious. Daniel read a moment ago in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 32 through 39, and certainly the love and favor of God are are inseparable, and Paul demonstrated that in chapter 8. And when I think about that love of God, how precious it is, because that love, from that love there can be no separation. Now remember, who made that choice? God did. And I want to tell you, to me that demonstrates how gracious God is. He made that sovereign choice. But another question I have to ask. What determined God or what caused God to give His Son for you, and me? His love. His grace. And that love, we see it in the power of the incarnation of Christ. And that love is a love that so loved the world that God gave His only begotten Son. And who deserves that? Nobody. So we can't deny God's love is gracious. Question for you, okay? Did Jesus die... To make us love God? No. You know why Jesus died? Because God loved us. Jesus died on Calvary because God loved us. And the greatest demonstration of God's love, hands down, is Calvary. Nothing compares to Calvary. And whenever we are tempted, Lord, do you love me? Remember Calvary. Remember what Jesus did for us on Calvary. We know how much God loved his son. He was God's only begotten son, the beloved of the Father. And yet, he suffered poverty, disgrace, persecution, persecution. He hungered and he thirsted. For who? For us. God's love is uh, gracious. I'm very glad that it is. Amen. Let's stop there for tonight. Lord willing, we'll be taking on the topic of the wrath of God next week. It's certainly not my favorite subject, but I think we need to look at that because the Bible does uh, speak about that.